What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast for the love of cinema, a movie podcast where our motto is we just hope it doesn't suck. This is 348B, the second episode for the week. We'll now discuss our thoughts on the state of the Star Wars universe in 2023. With you for that discussion, Grayson Maxwell and a very good friend of mine, Jeremy Lee. Jeremy, say hello. Hello, a man with absolutely no credentials. <laughs> we'll get into that in one minute. But <laughs> for the episode discussing The Nun 2, including the whole box office breakdown, what's streaming, and trailer talk, check out episode 348A posted on Tuesday, 919. Well, Jeremy, thank you for that introduction. But um, and I've teased you in weeks past about uh, my first full feature I worked on was uh, Super 8. And um, you were, you know, that was a big deal for especially anyone in my shoes in West Virginia because that was a, that really helped kind of launch me into the feature realm. But yeah, uh, you were the, you were the secretary on that, right? The production secretary? Or the- yeah. Um, and how appropriate that that was a J.J. Abrams film. And we're going to be talking about Star Wars. Yes, so indeed. Our, our, our meeting was, was providential to say the least. Uh, but we had, we we had some friends in common, uh, some friends that I grew up with, and and you and you knew, so that was a good introduction. But I think we we were pretty good friends on Super Eight, and we've just remained kind of in touch ever ever since. And now that we're both working in the world of accounting, uh, I'm I'm in I'm on the AP side, paying the paying the bills, and Jeremy's on the payroll side, paying the crew. But hopefully, our schedules will align something in the future, and we can we can work a show together. God willing. It'd be, it'd be nice. Although we did, we did work on one in, in Wilmington, right? That was kind of after the pandemic had started. However, it was really weird. And, uh, that was not a normal showing for, I don't even, it was called this country. What, what was it released as? Uh, welcome to Flatch on welcome Fox. Flatch on Fox, which yep. I heard. I never saw it. Yeah, me neither. I didn't. No one was talking about it. No one, <laughs> I didn't even know it came out until like nine months after it released, and obviously no yeah. one was talking about it, so like it wasn't a big deal. But that was Sean William Scott. Um, it had kind of a decent profile cast, but um, and it was it was a, it was a tough show. It was weird. It was not the easiest or the normal. So anyway, flash forward a few years, and here we are talking about Star Wars, something that I think you and I are both kind of equally passionate about. And as far as I will say, I'm a little. I'm a little um, troubled as to where Star Wars has gone. <laughs> so, I mean, I all these shows, yeah. all these movies, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to keep straight. And the, the, no, the, it the, is. the quality bar has somewhat fallen. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, lest we be accused of just being two nerds arguing about Star Wars, I think there's like, I think there are some objective um, measurements we can look to that I don't want to say prove that Star Wars has been in a state of decline, but kind of, <laughs> well, can, we can kind of prove that, um, I, I did but we'll get into that. Looking and just as a, just so like a baseline discussion for us is the original trilogy was at 77, 80 and 83. Uh, yeah, they were, I mean, look, the, no one's ever going to argue that that's not the best of the of the three trilogies. <laughs> no one's ever going to argue that. <laughs> At least right. I don't think anyone would argue that. But um, of those three, let, let, let me ask you, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, which is your favorite and which do you think is the best? It's, it's I mean, it's hard to not pick Empire Strikes Back. Um, 
I I'm not one of these, you know, you gotta have you have a lot of mega Star Wars fans who of course you look at the original and it's the classic, right? It's the original. And then you have it's sort of a self-contained beginning, middle, and end movie. Um, even though Vader survives at the end. But a lot of guys look to Return of the Jedi and they, you know, they sort of retroactively critique that movie because of things like the Ewoks and things like um, you know, just kind of where they expected the the film to go. You know, you have, you have like these Star Wars fans who are dark side obsessed and they really, you know, you still hear that. Like we really, you really wanted Luke Skywalker to just fall to the dark side and to have, for the whole trilogy to have this kind of, <laughs> you ominous, know, uh, yeah, this ominous ending where, you know, this sort of nihilistic ending and you're like, are, are we, are we talking about the same, you know, <laughs> story? Um, but no empire, I think is, I think it's just, I think it strikes a great balance between uh, the fun of the first movie, uh, the weightiness of at least the themes in the third movie, right? Because we're talking about things like redemption and destiny and, you know, that whole sort of uh, Joseph Campbellian hero of a thousand faces journey that Lucas originally based Star Wars on. And you get kind of the meat of that right in the middle of that trilogy. Um and it's also just, it's a movie that I think has aged really well in terms of um, its technical proficiency. I mean, it's still its still a movie that looks great just in, in its photography. You know, back when everything was basically done in camera, it still looks like just a, a beautiful movie. Well, same. I, I agree. Well, you're, 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 you're talking about which which one again towards, towards the end there? Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Then. Especially... Especially the visuals um, when mm-hmm. you have when Luke and Vader in Cloud City and Han has already been frozen and like those visuals are just they're they're awesome. With oh the, yeah, and they're they're intentionally um, uh, uh, archetypal, right? I mean, it's like a descent into hell. That entire. Well, it's, it's, well, I mean, of course, it's. I mean, Star Wars. Is, <laughs> yeah. Star Wars is like it's all archetypes. When you get, especially right, when right. you go back to A New Hope, it's like pure and simple. Uh, I I am. <sighs> A, a, a mutual friend of yours and mine, he thought that Empire Strikes Back was the quintessential American-made film, and I don't know if I ever really agreed with that. I mean, there are a lot of people who do, and it's you know, it's 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 a fine take to have. I just same with Lord of the Rings. I think the original is the best. A New Hope for me is it's a pleasure to watch, and the most interesting, I think, because I know you've heard people say, and I've even said it myself, is the, of all the lightsaber battles, the one that means the most is the one when they're on the Death Star and they're, I think it's the Death Star they're on, or there's some destroyer. It's been a while, but they're in when the, the fight between old Obi-Wan and Vader is because it's like, it's, it's, it's more than just a lightsaber fight. It's decades in the making two men that are fighting and they're both kind of old, kind of don't move as, as well as they used to, but it's got more characterization in that lightsaber battle than most, than most of the other, especially in the, in the prequel trilogy. They just, it's just they look great, but they're just lifeless battles that mean nothing. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, we we can talk about this a little bit down the road, even on this episode. But there's an entire uh, philosophy, I think, to all the lightsaber battles in the in the original trilogy. And I think to put it succinctly, and we'll talk about it more in detail, but all of them are kind of loaded with some kind of meaning. There's there's something at stake. Or there's something that's actually happening dramatically that is 
relevant. It's not just I'm a good guy and you're a bad guy and let's slap our light blades together, you know. <laughs> um, and not that that happens every time in the prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy, um, but every single duel, if you you know, in the original trilogy, has a a story driven um, intention to it. I, I agree. Well, they're just, they're also written in a different time too. Yeah. Before we got to the, even the, even the prequel. So, I mean, so your, 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 your pick for the original trilogy is empire. My pick would be a new, a new hope, right? Yeah. I think they're yeah, both I good picks. Think, I, I, th- I don't think anyone, I mean, I, the, the Ewoks have always been a tough little pill for me to swallow as far as believability in that universe. Cause it's just so damn silly. And of course you could tell, like, I think that was a decision that, drove like because they realized the power of selling toys at, at that point mm. and they want i mean the power of selling toys with ewoks was was almost unlimited for a few years especially with Kate. right well so you know controversial mention uh a screenwriter named max landis has a very interesting take on the ewoks and it's one that i agree with i agreed with before i heard it sort of you know put in in words but i it was something i always kind of felt which was the Ewoks are meant to represent the hubris of the emperor, right? It's meant to meant to represent the the vanity and the the sort of overarching uh, overarching pride of the empire. In that, they never saw that coming, right? The Ewoks were the element on that little planet that they didn't even consider as oh, we don't we don't need to worry about these little things. They're, they're just little fuzzy bears with you know little rock throwers and it's it was sort of so um you know given star wars parallels to world war ii and the empire to nazi germany and all that there were elements like that that nazi germany faced where nazi germany was so bloated and so huge and so powerful at a certain point that there were these little underground rebellions that were happening like the french maquis that didn't really concern the Nazis because, eh, you know, it's like 200 people in the South of France or it's, you know, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the rebel, the little re- micro rebellion would have been. But then when the time came, those were the people that blew the bridges during the D-Day invasion so that the Nazi panzer divisions couldn't, couldn't reinforce the beaches. And, now the Nazis had no um, serious armor for reinforcement, and it allowed you know the the Allies to take the beaches and move inland, and uh, you know the rest is history. And so the Ewoks were the way I saw it, um, and I think Max Landis in his I don't want to call it a dissertation, but you know <laughs> he he puts it in a in a very um, understandable way, which is that they were basically they were that element that the empire never thought could have taken them down. And yet they did. They contributed well, I don't, to, I mean, again, you know, I don't, it's, it's a, but also it, it was treated in such a way that it wasn't, I, there were no harm ever came to them except for one got blown up. And like you, that's kind of a sad moment, but like the stormtroopers would have absolutely ripped them apart. But I mean, again, <laughs> I'm saying that if you were, were, were in, in Gen Jedi, we're, we're so far into the kid element that you couldn't, 
And of course, you know, Lucas trying to be the person he was trying to be, he was never going to have serious harm come to them. And that's kind of a problem for me when telling a story of when you're putting all your eggs in a basket, the rebellion is, you know, if you lose, it's, it's, it's over is then you, and you put this element of just these fuzzy bears. It's just, it's a, it's kind of a joke. However, you know, in retrospect, <laughs> it's, that was the least of the Star Wars problems going forward because, man, there's oh, sure. a lot more going forward. <laughs> Speaking of going forward. I know. I mean, I look back on the Ewoks now and I'm like, oh, God bless the some, Ewoks. You know, have some more of the Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, so, let's, so let's talk about the sequel trilogy or the, sorry, the prequel trilogy real quick is we all, it's funny in retrospect that we all kind of hated it. But now in light of the sequel trilogy, I kind of prefer the prequel trilogy because they're, I think they're more, they're better Star Wars movies than the sequel trilogy was. They may not yeah, be you know, movies, but they're better Star Wars movies. <clears throat> right. Well, there were, there were, you know, there was that famous uh, trilogy of reviews done by Red Letter Media where, oh, yes. you know, the Mr. Plinkett reviews, right? Where they Amazing, just amazing, eat, award-winning, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're really well done. And you can tell that the guys that did it, you know, understand simple things like story logic and, you know, emotional through lines and these kinds of things. And so... You know, when they, in a joking way, when they eviscerate the prequels, you're kind of right there with them. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but we also, when we got the sequels, you kind of, you didn't realize how bad it could get <laughs> until until we get the sequels. Uh, now, let's, we'll stick with the prequels for now. But, yeah, I think the prequels, I mean, you kind of see this, I feel like, in Star Wars fandom. And maybe it's just a new generation of, like, Gen Z Star Wars fans, but the prequels um, have aged better than I expected, you know, like especially after those Plinkett reviews and kind of the, the general consensus of what the pre how the prequels were regarded. I expected for those to kind of fade into uh, I wouldn't say oblivion or like some kind of anonymity, but just, you know, to for them to kind of always be the the you know, the wet sack of potatoes on the back of Star Wars for a while. The wet and sack of potatoes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, just that thing that Star Wars has to lug around and it's only going to get smellier with age, you know? And, uh, but I think that, I think that people's, you know, it's like the original trilogy, right? Like the original trilogy, when they came out, that generation that saw those films as young people grew up. Right. And now they look back on those films with like a nostalgia with it's, you know, it's kind of a comfort food to them. The prequels had to kind of go through the same thing. Right. I mean, the last one came out in 2005. We're, we're 18 years now removed from uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And so you have an entire generation of people who were, you know, five, six, seven, 12 years old, whatever it may have been, who experienced those. As, as, as their first Star Wars. Yeah, as, as young people, you know, as, as kids, basically. Um, and then now they're in their 20s or their 30s or whatever. And now they're able to look back and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have they have their problems, but but Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, <laughs> and but Anakin Skywalker. And, you know, and I mean, you, there's that famous video of like when Hayden Christensen uh, showed up at uh, the Star Wars um, celebration, like the love that just exploded in that room for him. Now, granted, these are all Star Wars fans, so course, you know, you're yeah. gonna. You're, but it's like he, even he was surprised by it. Like you, you see him like kind of welling up, like, 
oh, I, you know, cause I mean, he was, he was drugged through the mud after those movies in terms of everyone you know, was even, even, sure. Jake, even Jake Lloyd, he never had, an oh yeah. Poor yeah, kid yeah, never had a normal childhood. He was just given, he was given hell at school. Like it was, it's amazing. What, yeah. Especially, and, and look, just as a little side note, like looking at some of those early Harry Potter villains, like they Malfoy, like he, when he was around town, he got shit on all the time by people like leave Harry alone. And I remember an early, right. inter- early interview, like, don't these people realize that I'm playing a character? I'm not, I'm not, I don't think <laughs> I don't think against Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, I'm playing a character. Yeah. The answer is no, they don't realize that. And that's why, <laughs> that's why they're coming at you that way. But anyway, going back to the Hayden Christensen is part of, I think the explosion of love is as, as awfully written as those, uh, the seek the sorry the the prequel trilogy was episodes one two and three is they still followed the Star Wars lore that we knew and it filled in some of the gaps that we had learned from the original trilogy which was four five and six they had still kind of right. I think kind of followed that very well uh, it's kind of like a book outline and Hayden Christensen he did he was a young Anakin Skywalker and I think that's why he gets so much love is people are like. Ah, as bad as they were, we still love them because they're still Star Wars movies. Unlike the sequels, they're just these weird. Right. They're weird. None of them talk to each other, and they all three are different kind of styles. And it's just at least the original three or the the the, the prequel trilogy all kind of had the same through line, the same visual style, and everything. But like, you can't say the same for the sequel trilogy. Yeah, and the original trilogy, um, you know, I'll say maybe the sort of writing elements aside, uh, visually. They were still quite original, you know, like we saw Coruscant for the first time. We saw, you know, Naboo and we saw like sort of all these places that were, whether it was worlds or a certain kind of technology or a race of aliens or whatever you might call it. There were still a lot of like new things in those movies. And the only thing that really wasn't new was um, a lot of this story material, right? Like one of the things the, the prequels failed to do and this is me just speaking as a writer, is that we went into those three films with the benefit of kind of knowing all their secrets, right? So there's that, you know, monstrous reveal in Empire Strikes Back that uh, that Vader is... Spoilers for those people who, for some reason, are listening to this podcast and haven't seen Empire Strikes Back. Um, in 1980. You know, 19... Yeah, in 1980. That monstrous reveal that Vader is Luke's father. And so what I had hoped, even as like a, you know, a young guy who didn't know a whole lot about writing then yet, what I had kind of hoped with the prequels was that we would learn some new surprises that would kind of recontextualize things that we saw in the original films, like where you could watch those three, then return to the original movies and go, Oh, that means something completely different now that we've learned this other thing, you know, and it's nope. kind of just not the case. It's, nope. it's, yeah, you, you sort of get all the surprises are already out of the bag. And what we're kind of just getting in the prequels is, well, here's an instruction manual on how to become Darth Vader. You know, you experience this kind of loss and you're, you're deceived this way by a criminal mastermind who becomes the emperor of the universe. And, um, on and on and on, you know, and, and so I, but I think that aside, I mean, yeah, you're able to like, when, when I think back on those films, I think of like, what did I see? What did I hear? What did I, you know, it's, it's more of like almost like a sensory experience to where 
every now and then I'm still able to like put one of those movies on and kind of just let it play the way I used to with the original trilogy. And it's not really because I want to sit down and experience all of the, you know, the emotional beats and the story arcs and the, you know, all those things. It's, I just kind of want to soak up the world of it, you know, um, the sequels, the sequel trilogy, they, they don't have that. <laughs> well, no, because I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll go into the sequels here here very, very shortly yeah, in another yeah. minute. But one advantage I think that the prequels had is the blueprint was already laid out. And I think Lucas, even though he wasn't really a talented writer, he knew where they had to go. But the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the sequel, tri- sorry, the prequels, the sequel trilogy, though, like JJ obviously had no intention of making the other two. He just wanted to make episode seven. And so already they start right. off kind of on the back foot of, well, I mean, you're handing off the reins to someone who's not going to follow your style. And that's the case. But also with the original, that's also the case of the original trilogy. However, a lot of the people that were on the creative side were still there to like guide it. And not, and not only was the original trilogy, even if it wasn't, even if Lucas wasn't as involved as he should have been there, there were, it was still during a time of, you know, adults writing films were like, no, we have to jive with 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 the original one and then Empire. The, the third one has to jive with both of like there was something there were a, there was a time when like there was a reverence for the for the first two writing the third one or the second two writing looking at the first one. There, no, we have to jive with all three. It was very apparent that that was not the case for the sequels. And I'm not trying to say anything about the the quality of filmmakers because J.J. Abrams is not a bad filmmaker. Ryan Johnson is not a bad filmmaker. Um, but it just it just the incohesiveness with each other that hurt those movies so much. If you ask me. Yeah. 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 Um, the, and I, you know, I think, I think one of the big failures of those movies, and again, this is where we, I think we can look at these movies objectively to kind of quote unquote, prove what we're trying to say here, which is that the, the references in the sequel films, well, let me back up the references in the original trilogy are a lot of things, right? It's Flash Gordon serials. It's Westerns. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> Akira Kurosawa films, um, right? It's it's the samurai. It's um, World War II, right? Because it's it's Nazi Germany and a lot of very, dictatorship. A lot of very on-the-nose references. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, that's, and what's important to remember, though, is that like, that's the world that Star Wars lives in. Star Wars draws direct, deliberate, overt references from these things and it it means to do that and in even in the original trilogy i'm sorry even in the prequel trilogy um uh lucas still draws from some of those things you know there's like um just as an example like there's the shot where amidala is watching the trade federation army come up the street in her naboo uh capital and Lucas cribbed that directly from an old black and white film uh, he saw of basically the the invasion of Paris, you know, like when the Nazi tanks right, were rolling into town. Yeah. And there's like there's still those kinds of things. The the serious issue with the sequels is that all their references are, are Star Wars. It's not Old West. It's not the Old West. It's not World War Two. It's not, it doesn't look at the same antecedents and the same um, sort of uh, either e- even like pop culture elements that came before other than 
Star Wars. Star Wars, right? I've, I've definitely, <laughs> I definitely had this conversation at least once. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're definitely right about that. But before we move into the, the sequel trilogy, what was your favorite, yeah. and what do you think is the best of the pre, the prequel trilogies? <laughs> Good luck. Go oh, ahead. the prequels. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's it's. This is not going to be a unique answer, you know. I think it's Revenge of the Sith. Um, for for both those answers, yeah. Same same with mine too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third one I think is definitely when. Um, Revenge of the Sith was what I had hoped kind of the whole trilogy would be because, you know, in the original trilogy, we hear this passing reference to the Clone Wars and that how, you know, this great friendship between Anakin and uh, Ben Kenobi had formed, you know, while they were um, serving in the Clone Wars together. And I mean, Kenobi in the original trilogy is even referred to as General Kenobi whenever Leia like sends her hologram message to him. And so we get the idea that like, yeah, he's this old samurai, but he was also like a, a war hero and like a general. And so my, my hope looking back on the prequels was that it was going to be three films of the clone wars, you know, and in the same way that the original trilogy was, was all that rebellion, right? It was, it was all three films were the rebellion against the galactic empire my hope had been that the prequels was going to be three films of the clone wars, you know, how it started, how it went and how it ended. And instead all of the clone wars happened between two and three. Well, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, even we saw it. how it started. We saw how it ended and everything, everything in between, right. Even their, their growing friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin and all this, it's all assumed and then uh, they had to do, which we'll talk about later, what Disney has been doing with Star Wars, I would assert, which is that they had to come back and create the Clone Wars series to kind of like, not retcon, but kind of um, fill in those gaps so that as a, as a saga, we would have a sense of what that history between them was, you know, as, as two grown men, not just as... Anakin being Obi Wan's, you know, well, that's, that, that's it. but you have to. I mean, they, but you have to. Darth Vader. Again, I, I don't know. I don't want to get in the discussion of did they make the right decision to focus solely around Vader's rise and fall. I don't know if that was the right decision. However, I don't even think that that's what they did. I don't even think they did it right. <clears throat> Lucas yeah, did it right. I, he, he did it. I think he still did that wrong. Yeah, and but I think the reason. I'll, 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 I'll give an answer to what you just said, uh, which is, I think that was not the approach to take. Um, I think what happened with the prequels is that the popularity of Darth Vader overwhelmed um, Lucas's storytelling decisions, right? Like, if Vader hadn't become this massively iconic villain in not just... American film history, but like in the canon of Western literature, you know what I mean? Like Star Wars kind of goes beyond just film and it's like, it's part of the iconography of like Western storytelling now. And so I think Lucas felt, he felt beholden to that so that when he was writing the prequels, I think in his mind, he probably asserted, well, it's gotta be based around Darth Vader. It's, you mean that's sequel, the story yeah, prequels. Sorry. I, I get prequel and sequel mixed up prequels. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, yeah. That in the prequels, I think he was thinking this has to be built around Darth Vader because 
he's now, you know, he is this monster of a, uh, of a character, right? I mean, I literally like he's, you see some of these lists, he's considered one of the great movie monsters, you know? Um, but, but I don't think that's what uh, could have been central to that story. You know, I think you could have made it, <clears throat> there was an approach wherein it could have been about the, the, the friendship, the kind of wartime friendship, if you want to call that or call it that, um, about these two men, about between Obi-Wan and Anakin and him becoming Vader, you know, could have been a byproduct of what happened between them or what happened in the war and all these other things. But I think to craft the entire narrative around, well, we have to take this kid and we need to turn him into Darth Vader. Um, it, it, I think to this day, it still feels um, a little forced. Well, it's funny. It's funny. It's interesting. You said what you thought the prequels were going to be is what you'd hoped was the Clone Wars, and we see the what happened in the Clone Wars only because everything everything goes back to New Hope, and that that conversation that you're referencing is the one in the beginning with um, Luke before he had gone off planet and Obi Wan when he just meets him about like, that, yeah. that. That entire conversation is as good as any conversation in the entirety of all the Star Wars shows and films combined that, that that's as good as any you're going to get mm-hmm. it's I, I think though i had hoped something similar but i was more interested in how palpatine how the how that guy was able to manipulate everyone and it's not in in the in the prequel in the prequels it's kind of a joke because i mean as they famously say in red letter media is you put you put anyone with common sense in a room with Anakin. They can obviously see he's teeming with angst, and he's definitely thinking non <laughs> yeah. non Jedi things. And it's similarly, you put anyone in a room with Palpatine, he's obviously obviously an evil dude. Anyone could have, any twelve year old could have told you that. And then how he's saying that because he talks like this. Yeah, it's 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 just it's insanity to me how Lucas sold us on that and how people. The Star Wars faithful completely bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Of well, yeah, he's clouding the Force. Like, shut up with that. He's clouding the Force. Use common. Does does the Force have not have common sense in it? Is that what you're telling me? It just. I always thought that was a problem with the prequels. It, it, one of many problems with the prequels, as far as storytelling is concerned. Mm-hmm. But it's just even then, like. So the my answer is Sith and Sith, but only because. I think more of the lore stuff happens to, to make it to answer my own long winded question. Sith is the answer for me. Cause only because I mean, more of the lore stuff happens in Sith. And also we get the, the fight between Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan, which is, you know, that's one of the coolest things to happen before the episode, uh, a new hope starts. So right. that's, so, I mean, that's a long winded way to answer, but we can, I want to move into the, to, to the sequel trilogy now. Spend a few minutes yeah, on yeah. that before we get really get into the other meat. But so moving into the sequel trilogy, what were you hoping this would be about? And I got to tell you, in the opening title crawl, like quite literally, the first five seconds of the actual movie starting is where they lost me. The f- oh yeah, they break the movie immediately. Well, because my my thing is what? How in the world? Did you let Germany rearm a second time for a third time for another war? How in right. the hell did you not see that coming? It's like, but again, they just, they, they give you no context at all. The new order has yeah. risen and there's like, what, how is this possible? 
Mm-hmm. Just right off the bat, you you lose any adult watching that movie. I have well, yeah. I, so I have two answers to your question, right? What was I hoping for? Yeah. The first was I wasn't. the the first The first answer is I wasn't hoping for anything. I when I heard they were going to do a new set of Star Wars films, um, you and I have different opinions about J.J. Abrams, but mine have more to do with him uh, as a writer. And um, but when I heard that there was going to be a new Star Wars film and J.J. Abrams was going to be directing it and sort of co-writing it, um, I checked out. <laughs> I, 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 did, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I just, I just wasn't interested, um, especially because after digesting the prequels and rolling them into the narrative of the original trilogy, I... I in my mind, I was I went okay. Lucas told his story, right? The this saga of the chosen one, and how there was this kind of twist, if you want to call it that, where we didn't know that the chosen one was going to have to descend into hell to then, de- you know, defeat the devil, you know, right off his own throne, basically, which is what happens at the end of Return of the Jedi. Which is that's kind of the other thing that Palpatine doesn't see coming is he's like torturing Luke with force lightning, and Vader goes. Oh, you know what? That's my son. I should probably kill this guy. <laughs> all, all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was, there was, you know, a six movie arc there that wrapped up that whole thing. And, and I mean, and Lucas has even kind of said that this in subsequent interviews about like that whole saga of the chosen one and that whole thing, that was the conclusion of, you know, basically defeating the dark side. Not, you know, not that there won't still be bad people in the galaxy, but that concentration of like malice and hatred and all those things that formed the empire and oppressed all these people, you know, that that had been kind of uh, defeated because when, when Vader defeated the final Sith grand master, he also defeated the final Sith Lord, which was himself, right? He, he forsook or for, forsaked. I don't know. He, I, I no <laughs> he cast aside, <laughs> I'm supposed to be a writer. Uh, he cast aside uh, being a Sith Lord and, you know, returned to the light side. And so I, so the second answer though, is that whenever I said, okay, they're making this, these new movies, what's it going to be? My hope was that it would be a flip of the original trilogy. And what I mean by that is I wanted to see uh an imperial insurrection, right? So we have the new Republic, right? The empire has been destroyed. Now the empire is the little guy in the universe. They're basically a band of terrorists now. So you had the rebels in the original movies that were a band of like freedom fighters, right? They were guerrillas. They were freedom fighters, but they were like basically good guys. Well, now you've got the empire and now they have to apply those tactics to this new shining Republic. And so they're, you know, they're setting off, you know, they're bombing buildings in Coruscant. They're taking down ships with, you know, God knows what. And the idea is that they're sort of pe- like a piece at a time. Uh, you know, maybe you have a small band of Imperials that are like overtake like a Republic shipyard. And it's like, uh-oh, now they've got a fleet of like 15 ships. And it starts small, but it builds. And so I thought, I hoped, I didn't think. <laughs> I hoped what we were going to see was, was the formation of this new enemy. And instead, they jumped straight into, uh, nope, the, the new order is already up on its feet. 
Um, no, no mention of how or how. No they mention of how. None, none and then what they and then what they tried to do is they still tried to make the Republic the underdog, right? They had this sect of the Republic that they called the Resistance. So now it's not the Rebellion. Now it's the Resistance. And <laughs> but you're like, okay. Um, so I think you know, like a lot of us, I watched. I was halfway through that first movie and I was just confused. I was like. Okay, I thought I thought the new republic was the new, you know, big dominating government power in the galaxy now. Oh, they're not. He the bad guy destroyed five planets at once, which for some reason our heroes could see from their planet even though this was taking place 10 star systems away. <laughs> Again, it's just, it's one or, it's a complete leap in logic and that's uh, yeah, by the way, J.J. Abrams did the same thing in the first Star Trek movie he did, where for some reason Spock could look up in the sky and right, see, see, yeah, see, his, see Vulcan being, demo, you know, being devoured by a black, black hole. hole yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, somebody needs to educate J.J. Abrams on space logic, I guess. But uh, And so I hoped it was going to be that, right? I, hope it, I, ho I had hoped for the good guys, the first movie would end as kind of an act break with like, you know, a defeat, like, oh my gosh, the bad guys, they are, they they're have bigger, a leg up. They're bigger and they're more organized than we thought. <clears throat> right. You know, and, and so basically we're watching, uh, we're watching how, you know, the, even the seed of this kind of thing, if you have enough rabid followers, um, can, uh, can, you know, get back on its feet. I mean, look, like we still have neo Nazis in the world. That's insane. Oh, yeah, that's insane. It, it's, it's we still have swastika bearing neo Nazis, and it's like you want to tell these people, "Hey, you were defeated in 1945." <laughs> oh, we, we still have like people that like we still have people that still live by the KKK rules in the South. Like it's just right. You're always going to have yeah. those crazy people who don't really conform to society. But I, I guess with what I was hoping for uh, was similar to you. It was going to start off. They, the good is now trying to peace, keep the entire galaxy, but evil has a little bit of a foothold. And by the end of the first right. film, the, the, the not, not only were the, will the new, whatever the evil, whatever they're going to call. Now this is of course when episode seven was announced and we didn't know anything about it yet, but I thought whatever the new evil was going to be, was going to win some big decisive battle. And the, the Republic was going to realize we are not equipped to fight this battle. And they now right. have a decisive victory and a lot more support of some of the star systems. And look like even now I'm getting like goosebumps all over my spine and my neck because that's yeah, a yeah. better story than was told is it's, I mean, there's a no, lot it is. of, it's, go ahead. Sorry. It's fascinating. You know, like the, uh, to get, um, uh, to make this way too real for a second, like when you look at things like Al Qaeda or the Taliban in Afghanistan, right? Like, and you look at the trouble they were able to accomplish with, you know, a small fleet of like Toyota Hilux trucks with like some guns mounted on the back and like all this kind of stuff. It's like, it would have been really scary, I think, to see a ragtag guerrilla force of Imperial Remnant striking like not in these big, over, you know, sort of overt, um, uh, you know, these big battles, right? Where they're they're fighting uh, what they call front warfare. They're they're doing these little precision strikes. They're blowing up this here. They're attacking a few people there. 
Um, and you never know when it's going to happen. And so I could just see the whole first movie. Now, you know, I know we're describing a movie that doesn't quite feel like Star Wars, but stay with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the entire first movie would have had this um, kind of tension to it, right? Of like, they are fighting, you know, they are fighting the way we were fighting. And now that we're on the, now that we're on that end of it, where we don't know when they're going to strike next, we don't know where the next, um, you know, attack, attack is going to come from. Um, now that it's a whole different set of problems for them, right? And I agree. That's 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 that would be that would have been the interesting take of those films. But then when when news started coming out and I saw the first trailer, I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> what has happened? What is going on, JJ? Why did you do this?" Because JJ, you know, you know as well as anyone, JJ loves his mysteries. He loves to introduce questions that he yeah, never mystery things, box. That mm-hmm. he never answers. It's like I mean, simple things like whose eyes did. I forget that character's name. Uh, the 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 old woman with the glasses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whose eyes did she see in Finn? Did we ever get? An, I don't think we ever got an answer to that. No. Also, uh, where did this lightsaber come from? Right. Or it's a story you know, for another time. <laughs> we never got that story. We know it's it's especially because he did the third one. Would have been a perfect time to close those loops. Nope, didn't do it. Um, nope, it, didn't touch it. So going into it's, I I, I know that. I've had this conversation before. It never ends well when you when you have a conversation with a diehard Star Wars fan about both the the prequels and the sequels. Now I, I'll admit I've caved a little bit on the prequel trilogy because I do think they're better Star Wars movies than the sequel trilogy. And you know, one for one, I think they're better Star Wars movies. May not better movies, but absolutely better Star Wars movies. Um, right. I will never cave <laughs> on the sequel trilogy. As a matter of fact, I will tell JJ to his face, no, I don't like. What you, I think what I think that's amateur storytelling at best. You're better than that, but I think those were amateur. And I think you're responsible. I don't. I don't think he is. <laughs> well, no, I don't. Wait. Did you, you see Armageddon? He wrote I, that. <laughs> um, well, JJ is capable of being a better filmmaker than that. Let's just say that he just isn't. But um, it's. I would. Be- you know, what's what's funny is that my my favorite JJ Abrams film is probably the one that we worked on together. Super. 8. You know it. Yeah, and it was. It, and and you know he'd be the first to admit it was a total. Um, uh, kind of a retelling of like, you know, a strange retelling of almost like an ET story, you know, like these kids in this town and, you know, all the adults in their lives are kind of creating drama and trouble for them. And they have this kind of mystery situation that they're trying to navigate kind of, you know, basically on their own. Now, granted, uh, ET in his movie was an, uh, a James Cameron alien type creature that was going around murdering people who we were then supposed to care about at the very end of the film. But it's still <laughs> most of the film. Most of the film is, um, you know, it, it, it tracks it. You can follow the characters. You care about these kids. The kids in it are so good too. Joel Courtney and a young Dakota Fanning and like, but um, L L Fanning. I'm sorry. L Fanning. Yep. You, uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good call. Um, but you know, it's still it's still kind of what I think JJ does, which is that he cribs off of things that he's a fan of. And n- that was obviously super telling in Force Awakens, right? I mean, it, it is a beat for beat uh, retelling of A New Hope. It's just different locations. It's um, 
you know, he reverses some things that don't quite make sense. Like instead of Ray, you know, training to use the force, she kind of just has it. <laughs> and, um, and then we, she gets trained in like the third movie, <laughs> you know? Um, well, it's just, it's, it's, but, it's all very odd. The, especially given what Ryan Johnson did with the second one, he was allowed to just kind of flip the script and do what he wanted with an already existing, mm-hmm. with an already existing arc, one of three movies. He kind mm-hmm. of, he kind of, again, the last Jedi is a divisive movie with a lot of people. And you can say it was great, but it's, it's also okay to be wrong because that movie was terrible. I, if you break it down, film one one, that movie does not work. And I don't care about, oh, yeah. but you're changing the script on Yoda as a little guy. And then he was better than, what's, what's his name, Snoke? It doesn't matter how clever you're trying to be when your script is a joke. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. Yeah, and those are, um, those are just novelties. Th- those aren't the actual sort of lifeblood of storytelling or filmmaking. So to say things like that, like, oh, Yoda was small and Snoke was big. It's like, are you, in six, uh, are you a six-year-old? Like... <laughs> I agree, but really, it, it, that's what we're getting into now. Ray had a yellow lightsaber at the end. Oh, so you, you know your primary colors. Good job. Well, it's, what it's is... almost it's almost like they make the same thing you could say about the the, the the prequels in a different way. Is the sequels they were made for the most hardcore of Star Wars fans. They were not made for normal Star Wars fans or normal people going to watch a movie from from it's from a saga that they that they've seen several in so they might as well finish it they, they didn't make the movies for those people they made it for especially nine holy mother of krabappel that movie was made for the fans and for the fans <laughs> only like the amount of absurdity in rise of skywalker which i will contend is my favorite of the three is it's it's off the charts for even for what i think is absurd I mean, yeah. making making Rey a Palpatine, raising Palpatine, raising an army from the ground—that stuff that doesn't you can't just do that. And I know I'm talking about fantastical stuff in a Star Wars universe. However, we have not had anything mm. before that to tell us. No, 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 possible. no. You're talking about something very important, actually. Okay, because uh, so I'm going to put on my writer hat for a minute. Okay. So, the, like what you're describing, right? Like the the star destroyers coming out of the ground. So intrinsically. An audience member who's an adult or knows anything about the world knows that you can't just conjure that kind of military material out of thin air. All right. It it would have taken the enormous amount of like logistics and supplies and mining of ore and all these crazy things and fuels. And I mean, you name it, right? Like our, our heads could spin thinking about it to produce a fleet like that. And, and then we're, and then we're being sold the idea that this all happened in secret that not, you know, that only a couple of little spies kind of tried to get the message out. No, I, I just don't buy it. And I, I don't either. even if, as an audience member, even if you can't say why you don't buy it, you have an, a visceral, subliminal response to that, where it kind of just breaks the story because because you watch it and you go, "Huh?" <laughs> um, and as a writer, you have to know that you have to know that there are things in a film that can show up and surprise the audience. But they have to function. They have to work. 
They can't just be, and I, I said this to you a long, for a long time about J.J. Abrams, and you see it in his writing. He is a high emotion, low logic writer. He, he likes to go for the big sort of, um, you know, the big overture that's going to surprise the audience or make us go, whoa, or whatever. And, and, but then the logic breaks. And you see this even in Star Trek. You see this in the first two Star Trek movies that he, um, uh, that he directed and co-wrote. There's a lot of things in those films that don't quite track. And the problem with logic is we're not just talking about left brain sort of mechanical, technical logic. Logic is also emotional. So when you break the logic of a story, you're also breaking the emotional logic of the story. And now I can't feel anything. Now I'm sitting there watching a movie and I don't know why, but I don't, I don't feel anything. And I see these scenes that are supposed to get me stirred up. They're supposed to feel sad and I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just not sad. And that's how you break a movie. <laughs> and he did it quite well though, but nine to me is one of- <laughs> he, he broke it quite well. <laughs> I mean, he did, but well, I mean, he's never, I would argue he's never been a great filmmaker to begin with, but he, we all just kind of allowed the, the wool to be pulled over our eyes for several years in several of his movies. Even Star Trek, I think, was they were for they were serviceable movies, even though they were just children in space, is what they were. They were they were still very serviceable movies. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this just real quick: let's not discount the value of fun. Well, no, of right? course, because uh, I, I like I like the first two Star Trek movies. You know, I don't; those aren't movies that I have to have, <clears throat> you know, a visceral, uh, you know, a cinema obsessed sort of reaction to. Those are movies I can sit down and I can be like fire photon torpedoes, you know, <laughs> and just like Con! kind of have fun with it, you know, and Con. Con! right. Yeah. And, you know, Kirk is like, you know, skydiving from outer space and landing on this platform and all this stuff. And it's like, that's fine. I get what the movie is. It's the same reason that I can watch a lot of Michael Bay stuff, you know, like a lot of people love to give Michael Bay grief. And I'm not going to tell you that he's, you know, a, a cinephiles filmmaker. I'm not going to sell you on that. But I can sit down and watch Transformers and have a lot of fun with that movie. I can sit down and watch The Rock and have a lot of fun with that movie. Um, 13 Hours, I thought, was – I don't want to use the word fun because it's about such a serious thing. But it, it that movie did what it needed to do. And um, and I think J.J. Abrams, I think – I don't think it's – I don't think it's by mistake that one of his early scripts was Armageddon, which Michael Bay also directed. I think he does come out of that era of filmmaking and even TV making because uh, guys like Alex Kurtzman and Roberta Orsi, they came out of like the lost world, you know, and Damon Lindelof and writers like that came out of that world. And what you see in a lot of those guys writing is that exact approach. We're going to sort of throw these big overtures at the audience, but let's just not worry about how we got there. Right. It doesn't have to be no explanation necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, no, I, I agree with you, but especially with that, that the, 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 the sequel trilogy is kind of full of those moments that with the right context, with the right lead up and care and in a script would have been fantastic moments. However, they're just not as fantastic as they could have been. And, And because of that, they're kind of laughable. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a hard sell to talk to, to tell someone who's like a super diehard Star Wars fan that they are laughable, but they are. And it's, you just have to accept it. I think that, I mean, you can like bad movies. That's okay. But you have mm-hmm. to, you have to admit they're not great. And I, that's kind of how I see 
the 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 sequel trilogy is you know they're fun if you're a star wars guy uh but they're they're not really your cup of tea if you're not a star wars guy and you're looking for a good movie you're just not going to enjoy them because they're not good or they're not or you're not going to you're not one of the hardcore faithful so yeah and i think they also just i think they inherently draw from a different kind of storytelling it's not <clears throat> it's not classical storytelling like you know i mentioned joseph campbell hero of a thousand faces earlier like so much of the structure of star wars was built around that you had the hero you had the princess you had the shapeshifter you had the sage you had all these sort of classic storytelling archetypes and what you get in the sequel films is really sort of a bad facsimile of that especially in the sense that they don't follow the arcs that those people do you know um one of the key elements of like the hero arc is that you know, he's some guy or girl from kind of a, a nowhere place and he's kind of a greenhorn. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really know much and he gets he gets swept up into adventure. You know, he's Frodo, you know, from the Shire. You know what I mean? And I mean and he has to learn, he or she has to learn how to how to battle, how to be resilient, how to be brave, like all these things. And I mean, you, you see that with Luke, like they, he, they did that brilliantly with Luke. I mean, Luke gets literally tossed aside in the cantina and the, <laughs> the original movie and Obi-Wan has to save him from, you know, the bounty hunter with the butt face who, uh, <laughs> the butt face, <laughs> you know, and like you see moments in those original movies that now a studio executive would edit out of that movie. These, you know, that'd be a studio note like, well, you know, we can't have our lead actor looking weak or looking feeble. Let's let's have him handle the the situation. I agree, and it's like yeah, and that's kind of what you see with Ray. Like she wins every fight, you know. She well, Ray doesn't raise a whole different discussion. Like Ray is oh sure. I mean, I don't want to like yeah. Ray is <laughs> Ray is a Kathleen Kennedy's Kennedy decision. That's a whole different discussion mm -hmm. of you know. I, that's a it's still a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. Uh, but it's yeah. it's one they're doubling down on because the new Star Wars stuff is is including Rey and and uh, she wasn't a very popular protagonist, and they're still doubling down on Rey, which I think is a mistake. I think it's a mistake to do anything involving any Skywalker or Palpatine stuff moving forward. But again, that's just my opinion, and they obviously don't think that's that's true. So yeah, I think. Well, you correct me if I'm wrong. You have or have not seen. Mandalorian. I have seen Mandalorian and I've seen what, okay. what's available of Ashoka and I've seen um, a lot of the Rogue One and a lot of the earlier Star Wars on Disney stuff, but not some of the newer stuff. And And I say that it's just, I've seen one or two episodes. I haven't finished them all, but man, some of those things are so unwatchable from episodes one and two that I don't mean episodes one and two is in a Star Wars episode, but like the first two episodes of some of these streaming shows are just, mm -hmm. are so bad. It's, I just, my time is better dedicated to doing other things. Yeah. Uh, you're not wrong. And I mean, we can get into it in a later installment of this, but uh, Mandalorian and I think Andor are really the only two things I've seen so far that succeed in what you're talking about. I did not watch like, Boba Fett. I got to be honest. I watched one episode yeah, of that and I didn't, I didn't finish it. Right, right. But I mean, like, where we're going to set aside the Skywalker saga and we're going to tell other stories in this universe. Um, we can get into it, yeah, another yeah, time. But, but uh, I think, well, the, I think, the, I think the first two seasons of Mandalorian. Uh, I, I can't include the third season in that, but I think the first two seasons of Mandalorian succeed in that, and I think 
Andor succeeded in that Hold for on. completely I would, different I, reasons. I would argue that they that they don't because the Mandalorian takes place after Return of the Jedi, but before um, the Force Awakens, and so does Ashok. They both take place after Return of the Jedi, Episode Six. Oh, we we might be talking about different things. Are we are we talking about sort of story timeline continuity? Well, they may not. In the direct story that is the Mandalorian or Ashoka, mm-hmm. the most recent thing on the, they don't involve directly the, the the Skywalker stuff. However, they still take place within the timeline where that stuff was happening somewhere else. If that makes sense, so yes, they may not directly take place with that stuff, but they do exist in that timeline somewhere. Right, right. Well, which, and, which and I think it's a mistake. I, I, I've always thought it's a mistake. Oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah, and I'm only half right anyway because at the end of season two of Mandalorian, and then in season three, uh, who shows up? Well, Luke. <laughs> yeah, Luke shows yeah, up. <laughs> and I mean, it's nice to see Luke from. Uh, it's nice to see Luke from Empire Strikes. Or no, sorry, um, Je- Return of the Jedi. It's nice to see that de superimposed Luke again. I, I will admit. However, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me because the other stuff is just such is such bad content. Yeah, and we can have a different conversation about what they have done with some of these characters uh, under Disney. Because well, that's, that's the thing is, this, part yeah. one, I just want to kind of get a recap on the Star Wars. I've just now decided because we're running super long, but we've had a great discussion on the Star Wars, the films, and the, uh, the next part two will, will be how we see some of these shows and how they shake some of the characters shake out. Yeah, I think that'll that'll be vital because that's really where we're living right now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's extremely unfortunate, but you're right. And it's, it's, I, it's so hard to see that. And it's a hard pill for me to swallow because like very famously, I, you know, I love franchises that have now been destroyed. I mean, Terminator and alien are two of my absolute favorite. I think some of the most intelligent, well-written first two movies in of cinema of all time. Like you could put them up there. You mentioned Alien, and what was the other one? Terminator. Oh, Terminator. Mm-hmm. And then now they're just they're they're both such a joke of a franchise. It's almost like kids almost like joke about them. It's like oh, more of this crap. It's like well, son, I would be careful with the word crap because at one time they were they were the creme de la creme of those genres. Like that was they were the best, and that's how I kind of how I see Star Wars. That now imagine. Let me let me ask you as we end going into the wrap up. Let me ask you this one question: What if we were just now, just now? getting either the prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy without the other one existing what if we were just now getting the prequel trilogy instead of all the stuff in the because i say this only because too much of a good thing makes it a bad thing like too much star yeah, wars you comes too much to digest how do you possibly follow all this crap i mean so I was going to say that before yeah is that we you know you mentioned star wars being a franchise i think it used to be I think now it is content. Well, it's just it's a, it's a full. Yeah. It's the same with. I mean, they're doing the same thing with Marvel. They're just beating it into the ground. Yeah, they. Yeah, you know, rarity is the thing that determines anything's intrinsic value, right? If I have the only one of something, uh, assuming it's something that has inherent value, it's um, going to be more valuable because it's the only one. I mean, you know. Every comic book collector out there will understand what I'm saying right now. But the the issue becomes is when you oversaturate an audience with Marvel films, Marvel series, uh, seven or eight alien films, um, 
you know, on and on and on. And especially what we're talking about now, Star Wars, where now we have nine films. Uh, no, more than nine films because we have things like Solo and we have uh, Rogue One and we have all these other things. And you get into an area where you start telling stories that don't need to be told. And it's just too much. Like, I'm actually somebody that appreciates, I appreciate Rogue One for what it was. Um, but I, I don't, I think it was something that it was, that it, it was innately not needed. I don't think we needed the story of how the rebels got the Death Star plans. It's too, it's too in universe. Do you know what I mean? It's, well, it's too, it's too, um, it's too inside baseball for Star Wars. How? Yeah, it's too esoteric. Exactly. There's only there was only one line in A New Hope that refers to it as that woman who's like, "Many people die to bring us these plans." As she looks off in the distance, and that was it. That's what Rogue One was born off of is that one line dialogue, and I understand where it came from. However, the Rogue One is a fantastic movie. It's a well-made film, good characters, characters you care about in a t- in in a space in a timeline that you kind of have an interest in because you know what it, you know kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. So I can see the appeal for that. However, this other stuff, it just it's so much. Well, let me let me let me let me ask you this. So The Mandalorian, if you mm-hmm. a solid first season, I would even say a solid second season. I won't say a third about the th- same about the third season because it's not as good as the first two seasons. However, to me, it has simultaneously destroyed the mystery behind Boba Fett and the mystery behind Yoda. It's made them each a little less cool to think about because now we know so much more about those two characters than we ever needed to know. Ever. Like Yoda was great because we didn't know anything about him. Boba Fett was a cool villain because you didn't know anything about him. Where he came from, who was people were anything. So you're saying that by the mere existence of Grogu, the baby, uh, well, we know there's more Yodas out there. We know there's oh, more. Gotcha. Of them. Uh-huh. Yoda uh-huh. wasn't a one-off. He wasn't an anomaly in the universe. He's now, he's now one of probably many. And same with these, these shows that they have littered in between the timeline after three and before seven is you're telling me that you want to sell me on episode three, Revenge of the Sith being a dire need that so many of the Jedi were killed yet in all these shows you're putting out I'm seeing all these Jedi <laughs> where what's the dire situation if dozens of Jedi survived the attack what's the point well, so that's yeah and that's the problem right is that you do you put out enough content you can't possibly keep up with all of it and so when Yoda says something to Luke in return of the Jedi like when gone am I the last of the Jedi will you be and that creates these high stakes, right? These extremely high stakes for what Luke is about to go do. And then we find out later, oh, no, no, no. There's there's plenty of them. That's, They're all over the place. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about that, that we're going to get another half of a season of a show or a whole miniseries season dedicated to, again, the hunting down and killing of all the Jedi because now we have to. Now we have to get that because the existence of some of these other Jedi in the universe after three and the line Yoda gives in return of the Jedi. Yeah. That's it. So they don't jive together. Well, that's why uh, we'll talk about this another time if you want to, but the star Wars miniseries that I wrote those years ago, how many Jedi are left alive at the end of that miniseries? A handful of that. I don't remember directly. I read it. In no, no, no. I mean, I mean from my, from the story that I wrote, no, how no, many I'm, Jedi? I'm, I don't remember, but I know it wasn't many. No, they're dead. They're all dead. Okay. They're all dead. Right. <laughs> Okay, not one Jedi in my story 
that takes place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Well, I remember you you, survives. you, you had two of them. One was the Master, one was the Apprentice. I couldn't remember if they both died in that last fight or just one of them got cut in half. But yes, uh, yeah. it was only the Apprentice who was in that last fight. So, okay, I mean, okay. spoiler, you know, this is never going to get made anyway. But uh, this, uh, this was all pre-Disney buying um, Lucasfilm. But yeah, not one of those Jedi uh, survived that saga. And that's because Yoda said... <laughs> That when gone am I the last of the Jedi? Will you be? I bothered to watch the movies before I wrote the miniseries. That's the thing is, it's just they're they're making they're not make they're making these shows for kids. Well, I mean they're making these shows yeah. for they're making these shows for another reason, but that's a whole different discussion. But again, it's it's not helping the Star Wars. It's actually making it worse and worse and worse and more laughably so. And it's unfortunate because again, one time I would have said Star Wars was the creme de la creme of that kind of that genre yeah i mean and if you don't mind me pushing back i think it's part of this discussion because i think the reason we're getting so much of it is not because that we need those stories it's be it's it's just simple greed they need they need content and that's why i don't think it's much of a franchise anything anymore i think it is a collection of content that they're putting out um and it's it's none of it is informed creatively these are not uh, creatively informed um, decisions to tell these stories. This is, we need a Star Wars show in 2025. What do we have on our slate? We have one. We need one, um, in the, one in the beginning of the year and one at the end of the year to put out. We need to have something. Right. 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 And same with Marvel. It's all the same. It's all the same formula for, for them. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. And the, the, the real, yeah, it, it is unfortunate too because what, there's a real drought in that business right now for just things that are new, new characters, new stories, right? Everything that we have is something that's been repackaged or rebooted or, or just uh, expanded into the world of content to the point that like, you know, you know, I was, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I was, I was, we were talking about the Marvel films for some reason. And I told her, I said, if I wanted to tell somebody to go watch all of the Marvel stories. I couldn't tell them where to start because yeah, they have a release, you know, they have an order of release dates, but there's no, there's no sense in which that I'll use the word franchise is organized in, in a way that makes any real sense. And now we're at that point with star Wars too. We're at that point where it's like, I have a 10 year old son. And if he asked me, if he had never seen star Wars and he asked me where to start, I wouldn't know what to tell them. And so one of the problems that we're talking about is that this is all sort of, this is all for Disney's benefit now, but what they're actually doing is destroying this franchise, destroying this set of stories. No, no, it's not not destroyed. It's destroyed. It's done. Oh, sure. Sure. But I mean, imagine in 10 or 20 years when they have milked Star Wars even further for what they believe is every possible thing they can. And then people won't get to come back to Star Wars and discover it for not only what it used to be, but for what it was, what it was intended to be. Um, and it's 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 just it's the slowest um, creative suicide you can imagine. Well, it's a, but they do it to everything. I mean, we've already talked about yeah. uh, Star Wars and Marvel too. At one point, I thought we're you know Marvel at its height before. You know, right at the end of Thanos, I would have just said was one of the most cleverly navigated things I've ever seen in like a long film franchise. 
And right, and they should have stopped there, right? They should have, st- or taken like, <clears throat> like folks, we're gonna thank you for watching for the last fifteen years. We're gonna t- we're gonna take five years off, and we'll come back strong. Right. But we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> take some time and figure out where we're going next because we know a lot of, a lot of contracts are up. A lot of the people don't want to do it, but and so I would prefer <laughs> there was, yeah, where, 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 yeah where there we're was that big announcement. RDJ is done with the Marvel universe, and then they rolled him into the very first Spider Man movie that they could. Well, it's just what do you? what do you do with all these characters now? You, now they're huge and they've all had five movies and what do you do with, you just recast them or do you just let them or do you just let them go? Right. Like, what do you do with them? Same with star Wars. What do you, where do you go from here? It's so none of this star Wars stuff they're putting out is worth watching. And I will say I've actually made through episode where we are currently with a show. I think it's episode five or six of Shoka and I don't hate it. And I, I, I think it's actually, it's okay, which is more than I can say of any other of the star Wars shows, even Mandalorian, I just kind of like, I just kind of watched it because I kept watching it. And I was like, ah, I, might mm-hmm. well, I might as well finish it. I might as well finish it. I, I didn't want to, but like, I find it with Ashoka, like, I'm actually kind of somewhat intrigued. Now, this is the first time I've been intrigued probably since Force Awakens was announced by anything Star Wars. So, yeah, take that should, take uh, a grain of salt. Take that however you will, because that's very strange. But yeah, I was going to say, I guess if we're going to talk about TV shows later, then maybe I shouldn't offer my opinion on Ahsoka right now. <laughs> oh, don't. Sorry. I didn't. I, I did it kind of begrudgingly, but I want no, that's okay. Yeah, I know that you and I are both extremely long-winded. I want to get through to part A or part one of this is kind of our, what we think of the nine Star Wars films going into. Yeah. Part one will be two hours. <laughs> well, it's an hour and 15 minutes. Now, so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So final thoughts on the, the nine films going forward and. What do you feel, answer this question, what do you feel you have the right to call canon? This is a good question for a lot of people. I mean, I think it's anything, it's any, well, there's what I would like to call canon, and then there's what I I know I'm supposed to call canon. Exactly, that's the right answer, and it's unfortunate that the second one is the damning of the two. Yeah, I mean, what I would like to call canon is prequels, original trilogy. And even prequels, I mean, I do that a little bit begrudgingly, but I've warmed up to them a little bit. So, you know, I'll, I'll let them slide in. Uh, and then original trilogy, that's obvious. But I would, um, I would flush Solo. I would flush Rogue One, not because it's a bad movie. Um, because, don't hear me on that. Well, because it simply wasn't needed. Yeah, it was just um, exactly. And uh, however, it did give us Andor, which I'll talk about, you know, in another episode. But um, yeah, you could flush Rogue One. Uh, you can flush the sequels. You can flush whatever movies they are working on now. <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, they are. I'm, I'm sure they are. Yeah, just make them, cut them, and then flush them. Don't release them. <laughs> um, but pay everybody. But, pay the crew. Pay the cast. <laughs> Disney, make them, but don't don't run release them. Yeah, them. yeah. So thank you for your hard work, and then down the toilet. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then but then I know I know what we're being told as canon is everything they've released, and what's really unfortunate about that is that I'm somebody who I was never obsessed with things like uh, books and comic books, but the things that I have read in that media, like in some of the Clone Wars novels, and um, uh. I never read any of the Timothy Zahn stuff, but it, it is notorious for being very good. Um, or even like Star Wars Dark Empire, which uh, the Dark Horse uh, you know, comics put out in like 
gosh, I think the early nineties maybe. Um, and like a lot of that stuff is really good. Like Shatterpoint, which is a Mace Windu novel is probably one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars media. And, but that's because like Star Wars, it basically cribs from other, uh, uh, very well-known, um, storytelling it's it's a it's a kind of a retelling of heart of darkness where uh, mace windu has to go back to his home planet and it's kind of a journey up river in the same way that uh, apocalypse now was a retelling of heart of darkness you know and and <clears throat> it's a little bit adult um in, in terms of just being heavy and a little bit violent and all that but but it, it's a really cool story and it introduces new things to the star wars universe that I, you know, as a, as a fan, I just like clench my fists and I'm like, I wish that I wish that had made it into the movies because that's so cool. And it's such a good understanding of the force. Um, and I, I can't explain it right now. It's too long winded, but, 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 you know, when Disney bought star Wars, one of their first announcements was that all of the EU, the expanded universe that Lucasfilm was calling it, uh, is no longer canon. And I think that's when the real fans, like a lot of the hardcore fans, I, I think you lost them with that. I think they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm out. I'm going to, I'm going to set, you know, that's going to be the limit up to which, uh, I'm going to experience star Wars. And then, you know, and I mean, you kind of hear that. I know this is just anecdotal and stuff like that, but, you get a sense of that on social media that Disney star Wars is a completely different animal <clears throat> than original Lucasfilm star Wars or, or Lucas arts star Wars or Lucas books, star Wars, you know? Um, and that's just, I mean, that's, that's sad. It's, it's sad that they disregarded their fan base to such an extent as to uh, kind of just, I mean, th- the part of it too is that that was such a great wealth of story material to make. Like you could have taken the Zahn trilogy, the the books that originally were the the sequels to um the you know to the original trilogy, you could have taken those books and adapted them into uh, movies. Um, now, could you really have? Probably not, because the actors were older and things like that. But it's. The point, though, is you had this whole wellspring of material from which to draw. But in I, I, I would assert that in their hubris, in their arrogance, they said, no, nah, we got this. It's the same thing that they did to Lucas's uh, sequel trilogy ideas. Lucas had his sequel trilogy all outlined out, and he's been very public and vocal about this. Uh, he said, no, they didn't, they didn't take any of my ideas. <laughs> Well, they I mean, didn't, I don't use any of it. I don't really consider him an idea guy to begin with. I mean, I, I kind of that might have been the best way to go. Actually, I disagree. I think he's an idea guy. I don't think he's a writer, and I, I think there is a difference. Well, there's, um, that's probably more <clears throat> apt of correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's that famous. Um, this is kind of an esoteric screenwriter thing, but there's a famous uh, dictation that was taken during uh, when Lucas. And Lawrence Kasdan and uh, Steven Spielberg were breaking the story for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's, it's a PDF. You can find it on the internet. Um, it's basically uh, 
it's a a what am I what's the term I'm looking for? Um, it's you know it's a it's a typed out version of like a recording that was made of their meetings, and you see Lucas coming into this meeting <clears throat> with fully formed ideas, fully three dimensional formed ideas for things that ended up in Raiders, that ended up in um, uh, oh gosh, what's the second movie? Um, Temple of Temple Doom. Doom. Um, yeah, you know things like this, and. But then it was other writers that actually went and wrote that stuff. You know, Lawrence Kasdan wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, Lawrence Kasdan also and, directed one of, did he direct Empire or Return of the... No, that was that was uh, Irvin Kirshner. Kirsch- um, oh, Ka- Kasdan yeah. wrote Empire. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he wrote Empire. And then I want to say he may, maybe he co-wrote Return of the Jedi. I would have to look. Um, but... <clears throat> But he, he, I think he is an idea guy. I just don't think he's a, he's a dramatist in the way of actually structuring and fully fleshing out characters, dialogue, you know, all that good stuff. The actual um, blueprint for making the movie. Um, so, you know, it could have been very interesting if, he, if they had gone with his ideas and actually hired a, a solid writer to work on that stuff. Um, but instead, what happened with Force Awakens is that they said, hey, we got Lawrence Kasdan back to write Force Awakens. And yet when you, and yet when you look at that movie, it's co-written by J.J. Abrams and J.J. Abrams is all over it. That is not a Lawrence Kasdan script. No, Watch any other no. Lawrence Kasdan film. <laughs> oh, right. No, you're not wrong. And it's a shame they didn't put more trust in one of the oldies and goodies of Kasdan. Yeah. It's just it's a it's a shame, but I and God, it just thinking about it now, it just kind of gets me upset that all this stuff. What would be interesting is if an interesting take, and we're not going to see. It, is there's there's a zero percent chance this happens in a million years, but to see Lucas's uh, sequel trilogy, if Disney's like, you know what, fine, let's do the, let's do another trilogy. Let's let's spend five hundred million, make another three billion dollars, and do another Star Wars trilogy, but we're never going to see that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's. It would be a really surprising thing. And uh, as a parallel to this, like I'll give Warner Brothers credit, you know, like whenever Zack Snyder had to step out of um, the Justice League film and um, oh, who was it who stepped in in his place? It was um, What's, the uh, guy who did Firefly, Serenity. Oh, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. <clears throat> you know, they later let Zack Snyder finish his version. Right. And like it's five hours. That's crazy. Like, think about that. That's crazy that a studio would do something like that. Not only spend the money, but allow themselves to be allow themselves to be perceived in the public as possibly saying, "Yeah, we kind of messed that one up. Here's a redo." Well, I mean, to, <laughs> you know, to be, to be fair though, the fans were extremely vocal on social media all the time. Sure, about, you know, hashtag release the Snyder cut. And now look, I, I. I appreciate the five-hour version of Snyder because it is a much better movie than the than the hour and forty. No, it is. Yeah, much better. I saw movie. it. I saw it. But um, I mean, that's it's a little the, strange because of the the, the four uh, the four by three aspect ratio that threw me a little bit. But I and mean, look, it uh, is what it is. At that point, you're yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to get what you're going to get. But but you know, it's not the first time they did it either because um, you know Superman two way back in the eighties was famously taken away from Richard Donner. <clears throat> and they replaced him with another director. And then it was, I think it was in the mid 2000s that uh, they let Richard Donner, you know, years later, take um, 
not only footage that he had shot that had never been seen, but even like some audition footage. I think there was one scene where they did a full, you know, lighting and set with a Christopher Reeve where, but Christopher Reeve was basically just doing a screen test with Margot Kidder. They actually used that in this new thing and they created Superman to the Donner cut. So they did Warner brothers did, and they released it on DVD. And so Warner brothers, it's not their first time that they've done that where they've done like kind of a redo of a pre-existing film. Now, Disney, I don't think they would ever do no, that. They're never, I mean, they're, they're, they're in the process right now of destroying their own catalog of films with these new like live action versions that um, look. That's a whole different. Just, that's a whole different. Conversation. Yeah, it's, they're just bizarre retellings of their original, you know, canon of stories. Which is very sorry. Strange. Catalog of stories. <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, I mean, just a, from a writer's point of view, um, the Lion King isn't interesting. Did you see the live action remake of Lion King? Uh, I think I saw half of it. It is considerably worse than the ninety yeah. the ninety four version, and it's what you're missing is all the is all the emotion of is is all the emotion of mm-hmm. of the animated faces and all that, and like that's that's important, right? That's very important. Disney <clears throat> doesn't learn that a very expensive two hundred and seventy five million dollar lesson of how important that right. is. So, well, I think yeah, and I think to answer to answer what I think was your original question was, I see one of two ways forward which is either Disney just stops, like just stop it, you know, like when you smack a toddler's hand when they reach for the cookies, just stop, stop making Star Wars stuff, move on to something else, create new things, or stop and then essentially create a new universe, you know, like in the sense of, recast star wars retell those stories with new actors new scripts the whole thing i'm not a now i'm not a fan of reboots let me be let me offer that as a disclaimer i i don't think i would love that idea but i think the only way to continue doing star wars in a way that doesn't exhaust the audience is you have to reimagine it and the problem with that inherently is that it was imagined really well the first time <laughs> well, so, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's the yes. So either road feels fraught with peril. Well, I mean, I I think you just go the you 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 go the humility route. You swallow your pride as Disney, and you say, when you make a new trilogy, you make a new sequel trilogy. You say we're sorry uh, to all the fans. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're taking feedback. We've talked to the original creator, which is George Lucas, and we've made a trilogy that we think was intended in the first place. We've, we've mapped it out. Here's episode seven again. Uh, sorry for the, sorry for the, the last, you know, 2015 to now, but uh, we're trying to get back on track. So please watch our movies again. <laughs> but I think that's what, I mean, it's almost what you have to do because that's, <laughs> please watch our movies again. That's, that's the same problem with Terminator now and alien is you can't, the movies that were supposed to get them back on track failed miserably. So now you cannot do, yeah. Another you cannot do another sequel to Terminator 2 because Stark Fate was so bad. It was received so poorly and it was so expensive that that's now dead. But the first two Terminator films are two of the best in cinema history. So what you have to do is either swallow your pride humbly and say this is now Terminator 3, please watch it or remake the first two films shot for shot, same script, just recast all the iconic roles but don't deviate from the shot list and then go from there. But Star Wars, what do you do because the first three films well, the first two films are so good. The third one's okay. But what do you do? Because you're right. They are so well imagined. 
and you just what do you do at this point what can you do is the question but i'll i'll leave that with you as we get out of part one going into part two is what does disney do how do they course correct if course correcting were possible how do they course correct yeah and i think i think it'll be interesting to talk about that taking into account um their the tv shows which is not doing them any favors as we speak but (laughs) (laughs) it's a shame it really is a shame but that's the reality of it so yeah well thank you very much for joining me this evening jeremy for what is the state of the star wars universe part one part two should be in a few weeks um, I'm going to try to get my best to get caught up on all of the Star Wars shows, finish what I haven't finished, so I have, so we can talk about those going forward and the characters and the stories that are telling within the universe. Uh, and then we'll go from there. Probably in three or four weeks, we'll do part two. Looking forward to it. All right, man. Thank you very much. And as always, thank you for listening. This has been episode 348 of For the Love of Cinema, a movie podcast. Each new episode posts every Tuesday and Friday morning at 5 a.m. in the podcast service of your choice of the following five. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. Please leave a comment or two, rate, subscribe. Every little bit helps. More importantly, thank you very much for listening. Check out the show on Twitter, at Love Cinema Pod. I'm at Grayson Maxwell One. You want to plug your Twitter handle? Your X handle, I should say? I don't have one. All right. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, always posting things on social media. Send us an email to for the love of cinema podcast at gmail.com. And next week, we're taking a look at A Haunting in Venice with Kenneth Branagh and No One Will Save You with Caitlin Deaver. <laughs>